for the next few moments. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and I will read the four last verses, uh, 21, 2, 3, and 4. Before I do, let me just say it's joyful to be back with you. It's been several months since I've seen you, but greetings once more from Denton, Texas in Providence Chapel. I think you've seen Mac also in recent days, and Michael Durham, I believe, a time or two as well. So, thank you for being merciful and putting up with some of us. It's our joy to be with you. Okay, straight to the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 16, 21 through the end. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. This morning's sermon is titled, The Necessity of Loving Christ. Uh, The text is really just verse 22, which now I will read in a different translation. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. Who here is holding a translation that reads that way? Yes, anathema, maranatha. We will get to those words momentarily. But by way of introduction, let's just consider this epistle from the pen of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Of course, this is, as we know, a letter to a church, the church at Corinth. This happens to be the second longest letter The Apostle Paul wrote only Romans, exceeding it in length. And according to the 18th chapter of the book of Acts, Paul had spent a total of 18 months in Corinth with this church. God had done great things in Corinth, saved sinners there. If you remember Acts 18, this is where the Lord appears to the Apostle Paul and says, Don't fear. I have many people in this city. Well, apparently God births a church through the hands and the preaching of the Apostle Paul. He spends a great deal of time with this young and blossoming church. Yet, at some point later, Paul pins this letter to the church. And in this letter, if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, you would recall Paul describing a variety of things that actually grieved him. 1 Corinthians is a letter full of rebukes, full of corrections. It's clear that there were those in the visible church who professed love for the Lord Jesus Christ with their lips, yet 
they were causing divisions and hurts in the church. Let me just recount some of these instances with you, not all of them. In chapter 1, we see Paul writing this phrase, quote, there is quarreling among you. In chapter 3, there is jealousy and strife among you. Remember, this is a letter to a local church. Chapter 4, some are arrogant. Chapter 5, there is sexual immorality among you. Chapter 6, they were wronging and defrauding brothers in the church. You remember uh, even taking a brother in the church to court. Chapter 8, differences in the church that were causing harm to weaker brothers. Chapter 10, Paul warns the church against idolatry and grumbling. Chapter 11, Paul warns against the abuse of the Lord's table. Going so far as to say many have fallen asleep because of such abuses, meaning they were dead. Chapter 13, the great chapter, often entirely taken out of context and read at weddings. I apologize if that is the case with you. But this is a chapter of Paul warning the church against being unloving. And then chapter 15, Paul rebukes those that were in the church proclaiming that there is no resurrection from the dead. As you can see, there were some problems in the church at Corinth, just like there's problems here, just like there's problems in Denton, Texas, at Providence Chapel. Problems because of people. But in our text here, chapter 16, verse 22 We're seeing Paul at the very end of the letter with great passion and zeal and strong emotion. These are his closing words to the church that he loves, these people that he knows, faces that he's familiar with, people with whom he's had meals around tables, children that he's talked to, people that he's led to the Lord. And in Paul's closing words to this church, He pronounces a strong rebuke, even a curse upon all those who do not love Jesus Christ. And I want you to know he's speaking on behalf of the Lord here. This isn't a personal attack. Just as God is never neutral towards sin, the Apostle Paul cannot be neutral towards sin. He he can't be neutral toward pretenders, toward false disciples. It it is as though as Paul writes this, he's, he's thinking if you aren't with the Lord, you're against Him. And if you're against Him, God's curse be upon you. He's essentially saying, love Christ and be loved by Christ or don't and be damned. Oh, that we had the kind of love for Christ that we see again and again in the Apostle Paul, that we see even as he writes these difficult words. So this is Paul's closing statement to the church at Corinth in a letter so full of his appeals to the church to have an undivided devotion to the Lord. He actually says that in the seventh chapter. Now, I want to work through this verse with you this morning, piece by piece. 
So first, we come to the word if. If, it's a conditional statement, isn't it? You young men over there to my right, you've probably learned in school already about conditional statements. Here we read, if anyone has no love. The if indicates that there's more than one option, doesn't it? There's an alternative route. You, you may either love the Lord Jesus Christ or not. But hear this. If you do not love Jesus Christ, you will be cursed for all eternity and His wrath will forever be upon you. That's what Paul is saying here. And yet, all who do love the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be blessed forever and ever in His presence at His right hand, where there are pleasures forevermore. That's the if. He's, he's introducing this conditional reality. Do you love Him or do you not? If any man. Well, who is the any man being addressed? Is it those who hate God? Is it the persecutors of the church? Is that who he's addressing? If any man has no love for the Lord Jesus Christ? No. This is a letter to who? To the church. This isn't an appeal to the persecutors of the church. This is a letter to the church. And haters of God and persecutors aren't typically members of of the local body. They're not typically in the assembly. They're those that are outside the assembly and hostile to it. Those who hate Christ, who despise Christ, they're actually to be prayed for. Remember Jesus' own words, love your enemies. Pray for them. But here, Paul pronounces a curse. So, if it's not haters of God, if it's not the persecutors of the church, who is it? Well, is it those strangers to Christianity? Is it those who don't know Christ and really don't care about knowing about Christ? Is it people who aren't even interested in religion? Is Paul addressing those people? Well, again, the answer is no, not at all. Well, who made up the audience then at Corinth? Who is actually being addressed here? Answer, it was the church membership. It was the visible body of professing believers who say they know and love Christ. Well, then what is Paul thinking? He's recognizing an important reality that exists everywhere in nearly all local churches. He's addressing false disciples. Those who merely pretend to be Christians, but inwardly and truly are hypocrites. These are those who Jesus said, honor Him with their lips, but what their heart is where? Far from Him. And this is the state as I've said, of nearly every local church in the earth. Not all of the church, not, excuse me, not all in the church are of the church. 
In the church, certainly there are those true and godly Christians who love the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet they are seated, sitting right next to ungodly pretenders who look good on the outside, but inside they are dead. They have no true love for Christ. So, the question this morning, which are you? Are you a true disciple or are you a false disciple? Disciple in name only. If any man has no love for Christ, love for Christ. This is the characteristic that most clearly distinguishes the wheat from the chaff, the sheep from the goat. One brother has said, though you do not hate the Lord Jesus Christ, yet if you have no love for Him, there is a curse that will never be reversed. This is a difficult thing. And yet it's so simple. Do you love Christ or not? Well, if any man, the next phrase, has no love. And how terrible and sad are those words. Void of love. Without love for Jesus Christ. A barren heart. To to get the picture of what Paul's saying, just picture on one hand the beautiful garden landscape and on the other the desert wilderness. A barren heart, void of love. Either you possess this love or not. And yet those who have no love for Christ, they are in a pitiful and cursed condition. To be void of this love is to be void of life. This is true poverty. Poverty of the soul. It's only wicked men that do not love the Lord Jesus Christ. They live off His creation. They daily experience His grace. They breathe His air. They enjoy His provisions. Yet they go about day after day pretending, all the while walking upon that broad path which leads to destruction. They are false disciples who though in the church have no love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And they, maybe some of you here today, are in a fearful position. The earth cries out against these hypocrites. The trees of Graham, Texas, if given permission by God, would fall upon them and crush them. The earth, at God's Word, would open up and swallow them if it could. You see, possessors of love to Christ, they are worthy of eternal life, but those who have no love, they are cursed. That is what Paul is saying here. So, examine yourselves, dear ones. Is there true love for Christ abiding in your heart or not? Are there true longings to be near Jesus 
or not. If any man has no love. And and I want to hone in on this word love. I think it will help us. What kind of love are we talking about anyways? Certainly in our nation, in this hour, if you were to ask ten people what does love mean, you may get ten different answers. What is love anyways? Well, in the Greek here, the word that Paul determined to use was phileo, which means brotherly love. Uh, affectionate love, uh, tender love, uh, even love accompanied by kisses. It's very affectionate. It's, it's an externally demonstrated love. Now, Paul uses this word only one other time in his writings, and that's in Titus chapter 3, verse 15, where he says, Greet those who love us in the faith. And there it is, love, phileo. And this is significant, and and here's why. He's writing that particular letter to a brother, a son in the faith, Titus. And he says, greet those who love us in the faith. You see, this is an identifiable love. We can tell when people really love us or not, can't we? You can tell. How much more can God tell those who really love Him or not? But the significance here of this word is that Paul says, greet those who love us in the faith. You know who they are. He doesn't have to name them. He can just say to Titus, you you greet those who love us. Because it's obvious who those are that love us. Paul is emphasizing this affectionate, warm, love, identifiable, externally visible to others, this warm love we are to have toward Christ. You see, it's not only a spoken love, but it's a seen love, a love expressed with your lips, yes, but also your life. Don't you know, in the day of judgment, it will be so easy for the Lord to separate those that love Him from the rest of mankind. Jesus will never, ever, ever confuse those that harbor no love in their heart toward Him with those that truly do. I mean, who really thinks... He could deceive his way into the Lord's embrace when he stands before him. Not a chance, right? It's unthinkable. That's a fool's errand. It will be made known in the judgment those that truly loved Christ and those that didn't. Plain and simple. If any man has no love, next phrase, for the Lord. Indeed, Jesus Christ is the object of our love. Our our love is directed toward something, someone actually, and it is the person of Jesus Christ. We aren't called to love some distant, unknown God like the men of Athens that we read about in Acts chapter 17. Remember, they had that statue 
in honor of the unknown God. No, our God is known, and we are called to love the one that is altogether lovely, Song of Solomon. His mouth is most sweet. He is altogether desirable. This Jesus is the object of the Christian's love. This is the one that loved us when we were unlovable. 1 John 4.10, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Nine verses later, we love because He first loved us. The one we must love has revealed Himself to be extremely lovable, worthy of all of my affection and your affection, infinitely worthy of our affection. So we're not worshiping a harsh and unjust ruler. We're not worshiping a dictator in the sky. We're worshiping the one that came into this earth, suffered death on a cross, and the wrath of God for us when we were His enemies. Yes, this is the one we are called to love. And you owe Jesus Christ your love. You just do. And who else in the earth is more deserving of your love? My wife, as lovely as she is, is not more deserving of my love than Jesus Christ is. She has to come second. Only wicked rebels withhold love from such a good and gracious king. So think with me the object of our love. Think of the sweetness. Think of the grace. Think of the glory of the person of Jesus Christ. Every word from His mouth, every promise He's made, every experience that you and I have tasted of, of His compassion and His kindness, every deliverance by His omnipotent hand, every comfort, every mercy, every bit of long-suffering, all of us, if we are sane in our thinking, should be only growing in our love for Jesus Christ. He is the object of the Christian's love. If anyone has no love for the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Or as the translation I read second, anathema. Anathema means accursed or devoted to destruction. John Calvin calls this the severest threatening and interprets this as Paul saying, let them perish and be cut off being the pests of the church. Yes, it's that severe. Only on one other occasion, Paul pronounces a curse in the Scriptures. You remember where that is? Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven 
should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. Let him be accursed. Only one other anathema. So then, what does Paul value most? The gospel, according to Galatians 1. Don't preach any other gospel, just this one, the true gospel. What else does he value? Love to Jesus Christ. If you don't love Him, you'll be forever accursed. And to be accursed is to be cut off from God and His grace. It's to perish eternally in your sin. It is to suffer under God's wrath forever and ever. As the writer to the Hebrews says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Jesus, you see, will come and execute His fiery judgment upon all those who do not love Him. Alexander McLaren said, The coming of the Lord of love is the destruction of the unloving. The coming of the Lord of love is the destruction of the unloving. The one-time suffering servant The Lamb that I spoke to you of when I was here several months ago. He will return one day as conquering King to vindicate Himself and gather together His loved ones. And gather us together, brethren, He will. But to all those that do not love Him, they will not simply be not gathered together. They will be eternally destroyed. Do you remember the parable that Jesus spoke about the guy who was a servant, but in name only? There's a couple of instances of this, actually. And in it, Jesus says, quote, But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. That's Luke 19. 27, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Albert Barnes comments on this text, there's not a more fearful declaration in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 16.22, there's no warning that will be more certainly executed. No matter what we may have, be it wealth or beauty or accomplishment or talents or praise and flattery of the world, yet if we have not love to the Savior We cannot be saved. If any man has no love for the Lord Jesus Christ, anathema, maranatha, or as the ESV translates it, our Lord come, exclamation point. Maranatha means come quickly, Lord Jesus. And certainly this is the heartfelt desire of every believer. We pray at times, don't we? Lord, come and right all wrongs. Vindicate me. Deliver me from this present evil age. But this is a unique placement for Maranatha. Because it follows right on the heels of 
anathema, doesn't it? Anathema, Maranatha. And thus the meaning is, come quickly, Lord Jesus, to execute this judgment upon all these pretenders, upon all those who do not love you. Yes, Paul, the apostle, longs to see the Christ he loves vindicated. He longs to see pretenders put to shame and his Savior magnified. So bring the pretenders, the loveless ones, into the light. Expose their darkened hearts. Let their evil works be made known and cut them off quickly. That's what Paul is saying when he says, Anathema, Maranatha. Let them be accursed. Our Lord, come. It's further intensifying the anathema that Paul had just pronounced. What an urgency this puts upon false disciples. Their time for repentance dwindles away. Their descent towards hell grows more slippery every day. As the psalmist said, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. God will take vengeance on all who reject, who simply do not love His Son. He has spoken this very thing. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So, you are now warned. And it's time to be honest. It's time to stop playing games. You, you can fool me. I hardly know any of you. you. You can fool your pastors. You can fool other Christians. Husbands maybe even can fool their wives. Wives maybe even can fool their husband. But you will never fool Jesus Christ. So, do you love Him or not? He knows that answer right now. Can you honestly answer the question this morning? This really is the simplicity of Christianity. I, I think people can fall into the trap of, of overcomplicating Christianity. As though you've got to know so much Bible, have so many verses memorized, attend church for so many years before you're really in. No, the simplicity of Christianity is love for Jesus Christ in the heart, evident in the life, or not. Do you love Him? It's not a lengthy list of rules and requirements. It's love and devotion to your Savior. It's not hard service to a cruel taskmaster. It's joy and sweetness in relating to the one who laid down his life for you. This is the essence of Christianity. So don't let anyone ever, ever tell you that the emphasis is your faithfulness, your works, or your obedience. Men can go a long way in looking good and rather Christian-like under a sense of duty and yet be void of love to Jesus Christ. Are you one of them? The greatest commandment is, and forever will be, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, 
mind, and strength. That is our Christianity. To love Christ. And the more we know Him, the more we love Him. That's why we spend time in our Bibles. That's why we sit under preaching, even when it's a guy from Denton, Texas. So I ask again, do you love Him? Do you love Jesus Christ? If you are here today and sincerely love Christ, what, what do you even do with a text like this? Have, have you just read over those last few verses of 1 Corinthians 16 for a number of years, never really given much thought to this, thinking, well, I, I do love Him. I, I'm not cursed. Can't there always be more love to Christ? Every believer is nodding their head internally or externally. Uh, aren't you, dear believer, troubled at times due to your lack of love for Christ? Because never have you and I loved Him with the love that He deserves. How desperate we are. How incapable we feel. How needy we are for a supernatural ability to love Christ as He ought to be loved. We, we need to be empowered. We need to be enabled to even love Him like He ought to be loved. So believer, when you come to this text... If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. Just, just make this your continued prayer to love Christ more and more. There's that Fernando Ortega song, More Love to Thee, O Christ. It's a, a hymn. He just does it really well. Make that your prayer. I want to love you more. I want more love to Christ. Because if we consider the person and work of the Lord Jesus, we have every, every compelling reason to love Him more. That there's nothing that we can look at in His person, in His life, in His words, in His promises that would turn us away, turn us off. No, it's all attractive. He's the all-glorious Savior. If we consider the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels, and yes, read those Gospels. If we consider Him there, see Him pitying the weak and healing the sick and feeding the hungry and teaching everywhere and all that He interacts with, He was always teaching. If we hear His invitations to come to Him, His invitations to partake of Him, His invitations to drink from His well. His invitations to live if we see His tears and hear His heartbeat and ponder Him hanging on that cruel cross for us. How can we not love such a Savior? Doesn't your heart yearn to love Him more? Well, be of good cheer, Christian. You're not alone in that desire. I come from Denton, and I share in that desire too. I think the most mature saints are those who are always reaching higher, climbing to new heights of love 
for Jesus Christ. Now, if you are here this morning and simply playing Christianity, just pretending to know Christ, pretending to love Christ, if you think you are safe from God's wrath just because you're one of a small number of people in a good, gospel-centered, evangelical church, you are dead wrong. All pretenders will be judged with the fierce, hot judgment that is due every hypocrite and liar. And unless you repent, your destruction draws near. Jesus Himself says this much in Luke 13, doesn't He? Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. In Psalm 7, David says, If a man does not repent, God will make ready his sword. He has bent and aimed his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. God is serious when it comes to not loving His Son. So you can pretend and hide from the public eye, but you cannot hide from God's eye. If you hear this message and simply brush it off, just another day, another morning at church, another preacher in the pulpit, if you hesitate and you will not turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, just know, that you will soon go the way of Judas Iscariot, who having betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ for a mere 30 pieces of silver, tied a rope around his neck and hung himself on a tree. This is the most well-known pretender of all time, isn't it? One of the twelve, given the label of apostle, and yet full of guilt, and shame and fear, he ends his own life in despair. And forever, according to the Scriptures, he abides in a special hell under God's holy judgment. If you won't turn from your sin, and it is a sin, of not loving Jesus Christ, you will soon go the way of Ananias and Sapphira, who having lied to the Lord, pretending to be more generous than they were in the presence of that local church, they were struck down by the hand of God as they stood before the Apostle Peter. Acts chapter 5. If you're thinking in hearing this, well, I've been pretending for so long. I can't come clean now. I'll be exposed as the fraud that I was. Well, that is no excuse. Better to be exposed today than in hell forever. Hasn't Christ proven trustworthy? Hasn't He said, all that come to Me I will not cast out? And aren't you weary in pretending anyways? This is the Lord Jesus who said, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, hypocrites and pretenders included. And what? I will give you rest. It's hard work to pretend to be something you're not. 
why don't you just come to Jesus Christ and live? Hasn't He invited you in the Scriptures again and again and again? Throughout history, hasn't God exercised tremendous power to save terrible sinners? Yes. Yes, He has. So you have no excuse. I don't know who you are. God knows exactly who you are. Before Him, you have no excuse. And therefore, don't delay. Because delay is only disobedience. The call of Jesus Christ to you, pretender though you are, is come to me. Look to me and live. Look to Jesus Christ by faith and live. Love Jesus Christ and live. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for texts like this that are stirring. They, 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 they read in such a way that, that, that we know they're significant. And this is no personal vendetta on Paul's part. This is the loving heart of Jesus Christ that is inspiring every written word. And we want to receive that this morning. The rebuke that it is, the warning that it is, the threat that it is, the admonishment that it is, Lord, every one of us, we need this text. If we didn't need it, You wouldn't have provided it. So, Father, by Your Holy Spirit, make this truth known and evident to us all. Let us heed the warning contained in it. And by Your power, transform us, those that love You, into mature saints that love You all the more. And those that pretend, transform them into the real thing for the glory of Jesus Christ, that they could move from hypocrite to son and daughter, from wearing a mask to being openly accepted by the King of the universe, the lover of their soul. Have mercy upon us. Help us to truly hear by Your precious Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.